asking me to, to come and, and fill in. I uh, love this brother. He, I could not have left the church in better hands, I don't believe, than when this brother. I would, was supposed to be back, as he said earlier, a few months ago, but uh, because of illness, I was not able to be here, and Steve Tucker stepped up and filled in and did a marvelous, marvelous sermon. And uh, so I feel a little bit outclassed uh, today, uh, all the way around. But we're glad to be here uh, with you and uh, look forward to uh, 2021. Now, we just celebrated Christmas 2020, and uh, it's pretty obvious that 2020 has not been a banner year. You know, we've had to wear masks all year. One of the good things about the mask is it makes me look a whole lot better when I have it on. But, uh, but the mask, it's not been a, a banner year, COVID-19. We had widespread um, riots and lawlessness in many cities with charges of police and examples of police corruption. The term systematic racism became front and center. And we went through, I think, one of the most acrimonious elections uh, that I can ever remember in, in my lifetime. And it still doesn't appear to be over. We're now being warned of a new wave of, of COVID-19, coronavirus, uh, amid a climbing death rate. Uh, we were told to curtail normal Christ, Christ, Christmas gatherings. As a matter of fact, my family and I stayed home and we just did our Christmas gathering by way of Zoom. And uh, Zoom is a marvelous thing. I had a, a magic show a few weeks ago by way of Zoom as well. That was an experience. But there are, uh, we're told that, you know, we risk infections and we're expecting that to go up a little bit more. As a matter of fact, my nephew was uh, diagnosed with COVID-19 over Christmas as well. But uh, there are rumors of a coming civil war. And the future, for many, seems to be bleak. So while this has some wringing their hands and worries and others... Uh, sinking into deep depression, anxiety disorder seems to have reached an all-time high. I want to remind you of a few things. First of all, none of this is new. None of it is new. Since the fall in the Garden of Eden, every generation has struggled with its own life-altering crisis. The reality of these tragedies has caused many to abandon belief of God, a belief in, in purpose. Richard Dawkins expresses this view in a work called River Out of Eden, a Darwinian view of life, when he writes these words. In a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces, and genetic replications, uh, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe we observe precisely uh, the properties we should expect to find if, if there is at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. Now, that's encouraging, isn't it? Not really. <laughs> Others have opted for the philosophy of the old song made popular by Bette Midler that describes the world as looking great from a distance. 
Everything looks great from a distance. Everything looks peaceful. Everything looks blue. Everything looks wonderful. And God is watching us from a distance. Now that's the old deism philosophy. Deism basically says that God was the great watchmaker. He wound up the universe and he has completely stepped away and he won't get involved again until the very end. And that's not very encouraging either. But again, none of this is new. The, uh, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 1.9, there's nothing new under the sun. What was will be again. And um, so that's my first observation is this is not new. My second observation is this. There is hope. God entered our suffering. He didn't avoid it. He entered it and he gave meaning to it. And that's what Christmas is all about. Now, I don't know what struggles you may be facing right now, but I know that there is hope in the darkness. Somewhere around 700 B.C., a Hebrew scribe turned prophet wrote these words. Nevertheless, now don't get past that nevertheless. Nevertheless, in spite of the present reality, in spite of of the present darkness, in spite of the foreboding you may feel at the moment, there's hope. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. Now, that's a wonderful promise, if you think about it. When Isaiah wrote those words, all of Israel was in turmoil. Uzziah, one of Judah's longest living kings, he reigned for 52 years, had died. During most of his reign, he was a, a good king, and under him, Judah, the southern tribes of Israel, prospered. But the, near the end of his reign, in 2 Chronicles 26, 16, we read these words, but after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord. And he entered into the temple to burn incense on the altar of incense. It was the 19th century politician, Lord John Action, who is credited with saying, Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And with few exceptions, all of history speaks of this truth. Even good men. Fail. I was reading last week and listening to some videos last week of uh, one of my heroes who had feet of clay. You know, if you ever put people up on pedestal, always look at their feet and you'll all discover their feet of clay. Even good men fail. In Uzziah's case, we wouldn't consider his failure a good thing. I, I mean, a bad thing. I mean, when, when you think about it, we would, we'd think, well, you know, he was doing something good. What do you mean he failed? He entered the temple to burn incense on the altar of the Lord. Now, he may have been king, but the action he was taken was reserved for the priest. And they called him on it, and he argued with them. And while he was arguing with him, God struck him 
with leprosy. Now let me pause here and say that some of you are like Uzziah. You're considered good people. But like Uzziah, you think that your standing with God gives you the right to act however you want to act, to do whatever you want to do. Furthermore, like Uzziah, you think that you get to go to God however you choose. I know the priest is supposed to do that. I know the pastor is supposed to do that. I know this is supposed to be reserved here. But you know what? Hey, I can go to God any way I want. And like Uzziah, you would be wrong. It's interesting to read in 2 Chronicles 26 that Uzziah's pride caused him to try to usurp God's chosen form of worship, try to usurp the worship leaders, and it resulted him in being banned forever from the very temple he was trying to worship in. Because he had leprosy, he couldn't go back. And that's kind of on the side, but the thing I want you to know is that when Isaiah wrote these words in Isaiah 9, Judah was already in political turmoil, but the words of Isaiah 9 were directed more at northern Israel, where he says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled, notice that he did it, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, But in the future he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The God who humbled Uzziah, and please note this, is the same God that sent darkness on Israel. And may I say he's the same God that has sent darkness on our land. As well. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. These are God's own people. Don't think that because you name the name of Jesus as your Savior, that you are immune to God's temporal judgments on your behavior here on earth. That was one of the problems that ancient Israel had. In another place, Isaiah wrote these words. He says, shout a full-throated shout. Hold nothing back. A trumpet blast shout. Tell my people what's wrong with their lives. Face my family, Jacob, with their sins. They're busy, busy, busy at worship, and they love studying all about me. To all appearance, they're a nation of right-living people. Law-abiding, God-honoring, they they ask me, what's the right thing to do? And they love having me on their side. But they also complain. Why do you sacrifice and you don't look our way? Why do we humble ourselves and you don't even notice? Why don't you give us what we're asking for? Well, here's why. The bottom line of your sacrifices is there for your personal gain. And you use people to your own advantage. You sacrifice, but at the same time you bicker and fight with one another, we might add. You sacrifice, but you swing a mean fist 
That kind of sacrificing won't get your prayers off the ground. And some of you are like that. You say, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? You love Jesus, but you won't obey him. Now, this isn't rocket science. Jesus said we show our love for him by obeying what he says. Period. And some of you struggle because you're saying one thing with your lips and you're doing something entirely different with your lives. And that's what Israel was guilty of. And that's what landed them in the situation that they were in, that deep distress and that gloom and that darkness that Isaiah is describing. Zebulun and Naphtali were the northernmost territories of Israel. <coughs> when the Assyrians began their conquest in the land in 733 B.C., these two tribes were the hardest and the longest hit. They were devastated 200 years before this by a guy named Ben-Hadad. And from the time that Isaiah wrote to the present, they were described or despised by the rest of God's people. They certainly were a people of gloom and distress. And it is to these people and to you and me today that Isaiah writes, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep distress, a light has dawned. Now that light is the Lord Jesus Christ. The land of Naphtali and Zebulun, which then became Galilee during Jesus' time, was a land that had been under God's judgment. Listen to this. It's been under God's judgment for 900 years, beginning with Ben-Hadad. They were captive to a foreign invader who forced an ungodly lifestyle among them that resulted in those who considered themselves true believers in judging their brothers and sisters as unworthy and treating them with contempt. And don't you find it interesting that those who the world considered worthless, those the world considered unworthy, were the very people that Jesus spent most of his ministry among. You ever think of that? They went from deep darkness to blinding daylight. And that's what Jesus wants to do for you, for me as well. Verse 3 tells us that those who responded to Jesus went from deep sorrow to great joy. Verse 4 tells us that those who had been in bondage were granted complete pardon. Verse 6 tells us of all that was to come about for to us, a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In Jesus, 
God became flesh. A child was born. Now, I don't understand how eternal God could come among us this way. How he could become one of us. But I want you to notice in this verse that when Jesus is born, a distinction is made. A child is born, but the Son, the eternal Son, was given. The Apostle John put it this way, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. When God became flesh, he didn't cease to be God. The child was born, that's the body. But the eternal son was not born, the eternal son was given. God became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, we'll get back to the government. We'll be on his shoulders in a minute. But I want you to look at these titles for just a minute. Wonderful Counselor. Now, unfortunately, our English use of the word wonderful causes us to miss the focus of what Isaiah is saying here. You know, we go to a good concert and we say, man, that was wonderful. Or we have a, an exceptional dinner and we say, man, that wasn't dinner wonderful? We just had a great time. And wonderful is defined in the English dictionary as being marvelous, astounding, unusually good. And that is all true. But the Hebrew word that is used, pale, or pala, could be either one, translated as wonderful, there's so much more. For the Hebrew word carries with it the idea of something that is true, too extraordinary to fully understand. Something that is miraculous. Something from heaven. So when Isaiah pens these words, he is in effect pointing uh, to the unbelievable concept that the God of the universe wants to communicate with us. He wants to comfort us. He wants to counsel us. And he desires us to speak to him. Andy Stanley said in a sermon last week, there's a difference between questioning God and asking God a question. And there is. Jesus is the wonderful counselor and he wants to listen to your questions, and he wants to hear your hurts, and he wants to know your concern. And more importantly, he wants you to listen to his voice, to heed his advice. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. You know, today there are many, even in the church, who think that Jesus was simply a good moral person who was vaulted to deity by well-meaning but deluded followers. Nothing. Others think that Jesus of the New Testament is nothing more than religious myth, a legend that came about centuries after Jesus walked 
on this earth. And many think he's kind of like Buddha. I don't know if you ever stop to think about this. Um, of course, Buddhists don't believe in any gods. Even though they don't believe in any gods, it's very interesting that Buddha, who lived back in the uh, 5th century and 4th century B.C., was not elevated to godlike status that they worship today until 1954. That is not the case with Jesus. With Jesus, these things don't fit the facts. Had Jesus lived, died, and not rose, we wouldn't even be watching today. The message of the first century followers did not center on what Jesus taught. It centered on what Jesus did. And he, what he taught is only meaningful because of what he did. He died on a cross. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose physically. So that you and I could have forgiveness of sins. And have a place in heaven. And the message of the first century followers centered on the resurrection. The faith of the earliest followers of Jesus was based on an event that they witnessed. Not an ethical teaching that they learned. And if you only recognize Jesus as a good moral teacher, please listen to me, understand what I'm about to say. If you recognize Jesus as a good moral teacher and you stop there, you are not a Christian. He was not a good moral teacher. He was mighty God. He was God come looking for us. And you know, you can have every other world religion without its leader. Anybody could have taught what Buddha taught. Anybody could have taught with the Hindus teach, or anybody could have taught what Muhammad taught. And they will tell you. I've talked to Islamic leaders who say they didn't need Muhammad to have Islam. Someone else could have come along and taught it. But you cannot have Christianity without Jesus. Unless we miss what Isaiah is trying to communicate about the coming of Jesus, he identifies him Notice this, he identifies him not only as mighty God, but also as everlasting Father. The Hebrew there is eternal Father. Jesus did not come into existence at his birth. He wasn't God's first creation. He is God of very gods. So 700 years before the birth of Jesus, he is already being identified as the creator who has become a creature. He entered our sorrow. He entered our pain. He entered our gloom. He entered our darkness so that he could bring hope, so that he could bring light. There's no amount of mental gymnastics or theological sleight of hand that can explain away the one that true Christians celebrate as Lord. He is, in theological terms, fully God and fully human. As a matter of fact, the Council of Chalcedon in 451 uh, 
AD produced the Chalcedon definition, which affirms that Christ is the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood. Truly God and truly man. He is consubstantial with the Father according to the Godhead and consubstantial with us according to manhood. Jesus Christ is to be acknowledged in two natures, inconfusably, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably. The divine and human natures of Christ are distinct yet united in one person. And this coexistence of Christ in two natures is called the hypostatic union. And if you don't recognize this, you may be Christian in name, but you are not Christian in heart. If you don't recognize this, you will be in that group of people of whom Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Which gets us back to what we said earlier. If you say you love Jesus, but you don't obey Jesus, it's meaningless. It's not the one who says, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? It's the one who does what Jesus taught us to do. You know, Jesus was arguing with the religious teachers in John chapter 8. When he says this, he says, you cannot know God unless you recognize me. You can't know God unless you recognize me. Now, what I'm about to say is very controversial. But you need to hear this. Do Jewish people today worship the one true God? The answer is no. Because Jesus said, you can't know the Father that you claim that you're worshiping if you don't recognize the Son. Do Muslim people today worship the one true God? No, because they can't recognize the one true God without coming through the Son. You can't recognize the God of heaven until you recognize the God who came from heaven in the person of Jesus. And you can check this out for yourselves. It's, it's not my opinion. It's Jesus' teaching. Look at John 8. You'll see it. And like Uzziah, you don't get to come any way you want to. I like this route, I like this route, I want a little bit of this, I want a little bit of that, I'm going to make my own religion. Apostle Paul wrote, there is only one God, and Christ Jesus is the only one who brings us to God. Let that sink in. There's only one God, and Christ Jesus is the only one who can bring us to God. Jesus was truly human, and he gave himself to rescue us all. 
Then he's called the Prince of Peace. Isaiah calls him the Prince of Peace, and the Gentile physician, Dr. Luke, records the message of the angels that first Christmas, which included these words, glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those on whom his favor rests. Or one translation says, of those who are pleasing God. Now, it's been 21 centuries, in a few days, 21 centuries, and yet there's so little peace on earth. Globally, wars are being fought. Nationally, there's political and civil unrest. And individually, very few people know real peace. Now, how can this be? I mean, the Prince of Peace came. How is it that we have no peace? Well, I'll tell you how we've rejected the Prince of Peace. And like Adam and Eve in the garden, we are insist on having our own way, getting to define for ourselves what we think is right and wrong, what we think is good and evil. Last week I was watching a, a video of a um, Christian apologist talking in a college campus, and there was an irate young woman who was arguing with him, and she demanded that God recognized gay love is legitimate. She wasn't going to have anything to do with God unless he would do that. Same sin of Adam and Eve in the garden, isn't it? And then, of course, there are those who rail against God over the concept of hell. Who's he to judge us? Let alone condemn us. One famous atheist recently wrote that he thinks that if he had to spend an eternity in heaven, that would be hell for him because he wants to be left alone by God. And that's exactly what God does, by the way. The doors of hell are locked from the inside. C.S. Lewis was right when he wrote these words. I willingly believe that the damned are, in one sense, successful rebels to the end. The doors of hell are locked on the inside. Those who choose hell enjoy forever the horrible freedom they have demanded. And what is true of hell is also true of peace. God loves us. He knows what's best for us. He desires the best for us. He is not about to sacrifice your eternal well-being for your temporal happiness. And let's be honest, we really don't seek God when things are going good, do we? He's kind of an interruption in our lives. The only time we really think about God is when things are bad. Look at our nation. God, leave us alone, leave us alone, leave us alone. Then the Twin Towers are attacking. What's the first thing that goes out? Where's God? It's exactly what he told them to be. Well, a few days ago, the explosion in Tennessee... Where's God? We don't look for him until we're in trouble. And God, knowing that, is willing to let us experience darkness and gloom and distress. Not because he hates us, but because he loves us. And he knows 
that without those things, we will not seek him. Many of us treat God like we treat the waiter or waitress in a restaurant. We want them to stand over there on the side, and when we need them, come running to us, but otherwise just leave us alone. Now, here's the hard part. And we're going to wrap this up. Israel had to wait 700 years before the light of Christ dawned. KP reminded us of that last week. And by the way, I do watch KP every week. Um, I look forward to the time when we can start gathering again. And I'm thankful for KP and for the elders of this church for being wise enough to realize the rise in the COVID situation and go back to, at least temporarily, go back to online church. Israel had to wait 700 years before the light of Christ dawned. But even then, that light has not fully risen because the promise of the God, I told you we'd come back to this, the promise of the government on his shoulders and then, verse 7, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And we're still waiting for this. 2,800 years later, if you go back for that extra 700 years, we're still waiting. Does that mean God doesn't keep his promise? No, it doesn't mean that. Every promise of God is yea and amen. It will be completed. But we're still waiting. Nevertheless, God still has it. No matter what you're facing, no matter what you're in, he is still in control. And here's the question. While we wait, will we trust? While we wait, can we have the hope that God will accomplish his purpose in his way, in his time? Even in the darkness, the light will dawn. Will we focus on that or will we focus on the darkness rather than the light that we do have? And the bottom line on all of it is simply this. Jesus walked out of the tomb. That settles it. Everything he says is true. So will you focus on the darkness rather than on the light that we have? And here's the thing. Only you, only you can answer that question for yourself. I can't. KP can't. Your parents can't. Only you can answer that. And if you answer it by coming to Christ, you'll discover that peace, that light, that hope. 
in the darkness. As always, I hope you all have been uh, encouraged by the word of God. Hope uh, in the darkness. I was sitting there and as I was listening to Pastor John, um, I'm thinking I'm in these more divided than United States. Um, the, the pandemic, uh, the, the, the sickness and the death and even the extended ramifications that's, that's invaded our personal lives, our, our, econ our economy. And as he mentioned, even the, the recent bombings that with the evil intentions of men, the recent bombing in, in Nashville, Jesus is our hope in the darkness. That's what I got out of the message. A, ch a child is born, fully human. A son is given. He said, full of deity. And in case you didn't catch that, he says, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father. Prince of Peace, the one who can give you inter internal peace and peace with his father. There is hope in the darkness. I thank Pastor John for availing himself today to be used by God to bless us. Once again, I ask that you please go on and show your love. Send him words of encouragement and words of thank you for, again, for accepting the invitation and coming once again to bless us. Um, Pray for how God will use him in the future, and hopefully, prayerfully, uh, Lord willing, this won't be the last time that we see the belo our beloved pastor emeritus, John Perel. So thank you, brother, on behalf of the elders and myself and the Gateway family. We appreciate you. Thank you all for joining us today. Uh, things are a little different because we're online, but that does not mean if the word of God has uh, impacted your heart in any shape, form or fashion today, or maybe, you know, you've been down and discouraged, you know, look at how God would speak to us today and talk about hope. We pray that you will have a conversation with God and let him know he talked to you about he wants to hear everything. He even got wants to hear your questions. Reach out to him. Call out to him for all who call on the name of the Lord. They shall be saved. I, again, am, have been blessed by the word of God. I'm going to pray for us and uh, let you guys enjoy this last Sunday of 2020. And Lord willing, uh, please be mindful. We'll do online service starting the new year, but we will come back together, Lord willing, for in-person service on January the 10th. So let me pray for us and you guys can enjoy the rest of your day. Father. Father, we lift you up again to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for your manservant, God. Thank you for Pastor John Perel and how you have used him this day, God, to speak into the lives of your people. We thank you for your word, God. We thank you, God, that in the midst of all that's going on in this world, even in our inability to understand it all, God, the thing that we have is sure hope. In Jesus Christ and so I thank you for that right now I thank you for the listeners those who joined us on this day God I pray for them I pray God that your word will uh, sink deeply into their hearts and in their minds God that they would roll it over they would contemplate God and that they would yield and submit themselves to you and your word now father as we prepare to leave this place but never your presence we pray now God that your favor and your blessings abide upon your people we pray it all in Jesus name Amen. Have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful day, you guys. Rest of the year, if we don't hear from you again, God bless you guys and may God keep you all.